26. And I'm gonna, I'd like to read it for us so that we get an idea of what David is talking about here uh, in, in these words. This is Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly, to be, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that's in it. Then all the trees of the field will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Well, around the world, there's national anthems that, that reflect various nations, isn't there? Nations who have attempted to, to find music that represents their country as they declare who they are and, and celebrate their national identity. For some nations, their national identity has reflected their military strength. For other countries, it was to propagate certain political agendas. And yet for others, it was intended to reflect their history and their struggles and their traditions as a nation. So I went online this past week just to see what is the general consensus for some of the most popular, uh, most popular national anthems worldwide. And here's the top five that seem to come up the most frequently in no particular order. Brazil, Germany, Russia, France, and United States. I was surprised that Canada didn't make the cut, but that nonetheless, there was, these are the top five that seem to come up over and over again. And I spent some time listening to some of these different national anthems, and, and I got to say, some of them are simply beautiful, both lyrically, but also in terms of their composition. If you have some time this week, I would encourage you to listen to, to some of them, because I just, there's something about them that is just really, really uh, enjoyable. As I was doing this, though, I listened to, I happened to come across two other um, honorable mentions. One was Uruguay. And Uruguay, uh, surprisingly, has a really beautiful uh, composition of, of, of instruments that are just really, really rich. I don't understand a word they're saying, but it sounds nice. The second one is South Africa. South Africa, their, their national anthem was written in the mid-'80s, right after apartheid. And when you understand the the, the history of South Africa, you understand and you begin to understand that the richness of, of this particular song as, the, the, as they declare that they want to dedicate South Africa to God, that their national anthem is actually a hymn to God. Here in Canada, even though our national anthem had been sung for over 100 years, it wasn't until July 1st, 1980, that our federal government passed an act that actually adopted O Canada as our national anthem. And over the course of our national anthem's history, there have been various iterations and lyrical, lyrical adjustments as culture and priorities have changed in our nation's 150-year history. 
In many ways, Psalm 96 is the national anthem for Israel, as its identity is being reestablished with the return of the Ark of the Covenant. We see, the, we see this, this, uh, this return being recorded in two different places in Scripture. We see it in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, 1 Chronicles chapter 16. This psalm, though, in many ways was intended to reflect David's hopes and aspirations for the nation of Israel. See, as, as, as the, the, the Ark of the Covenant is being returned, this is, this is, this is, Paul's, or the, this is where David's heart is at, where he's beginning to, to he wants to celebrate and recognize that, that God's presence has returned to Israel. And we see in 2 Samuel chapter 6 specifically that David's reaction to the Ark of the Covenant's return, the presence of God has returned to Israel, that he, he worshipped to the point where his own wife despised his actions. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16, his wife Michael says, it says this, it says, she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. See, there was something about this moment where David couldn't contain his worship. That the fullness of everything that was happening couldn't be expressed in any other way except dancing and leaping for joy. Worship is what we give the best of our time, energy, and devotion to. Let me say that again. That worship is what we give the best of our time, energy, and devotion to. We all worship something. The question is, for all of us, is who or what are we going to worship? For David, his hope was that, he was going, that the, the nation of Israel would choose to worship God. And Psalm 96, I think, gives us a really healthy picture of what worship was intended to be. Where we see that worship is restorative, that worship is submissive, and that worship is declarative. That when you and I worship Jesus, that it's restorative, that it's submissive, that it's declarative. And throughout Psalm 96, we begin to see this constant theme and acknowledgement of who God is, where David not only acknowledges the identity of God, but also acknowledges God's hand at work in Israel, both historically, presently, and in the future. Worship is intended to identify the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing in our lives presently and what he will continue to do in the future. Within our worship of Jesus... We are acknowledging and celebrating God's character. And as we do that, we are making ourselves available to be empowered by the Holy Spirit as we enter into the spiritual battle that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. See, worshiping God is our greatest weapon against Satan. Satan knows that you and I were created to be people who worship. And so he does whatever he can to distract our attention from God onto other things. For some of us, we worship things like approval. For others, it's materialism. For others, it's music or sports. And yet for others, it's celebrity or social media, where we give the best of our time and energy and devotion to. But that type of worship is just a facade of what real, true worship really is, what it was really intended to be. And it's in our worship of Jesus that we begin to realign ourselves, anything that may have gotten out of order in our lives. And it begins to recalibrate our thinking and priorities to ensure that the main thing stays the main thing. 
See, it's Jesus who has authority in our lives, not our circumstances, not other people, not anything else, but it's Jesus. Last week, I shared from John chapter 8, where Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Worship is the fruit. We begin to know Jesus. And as we deepen our knowing of Jesus, we begin to know God's views and perspectives on our lives so that we are no longer operating out of our own experiences or thoughts. Instead, we're listening to the one who knows best. Worship is the fruit of knowing Jesus. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When we exchange our thoughts for God's, it becomes our weapon to fight, with, fight against Satan. Where the things that once attacked us, the things that maybe once discouraged us, the things that maybe draw our attention elsewhere, that those things are now set aside, and instead our praise reminds, reminds us that it's all about Jesus. You know, this morning Jason and I were praying before the service, and, and we were just like, there's just so many things that, we, that can distract our attention, the stuff upstairs in the, in the balcony with the, the lyrics or the sound on the, online. And there's just so many different things that can distract our attention and, and pull our thoughts in different ways. And it's, it's so important for us to, to remember that, that, it's, that it's all about Jesus. Even when things may not be perfect online, things may not be perfect here in our lives, it is all about Jesus. Worship is taking our thoughts captive and walking in the victorious truth that Jesus is Lord over all, including our circumstances and our choices. The worship is taking our thoughts captive and walking in the victorious truth that Jesus is Lord over all, including our circumstances and our choices. Worship happens when we, real, when we recognize the truth of God, and He gives us the discernment and strength to walk through whatever He calls us into. In Acts chapter 16, we see a really, I think, a really beautiful example of this with Paul and Silas, who have been in prison for releasing a spirit from a young, a young woman. And we read in verse 25 their response to their, circum, their response to their circumstances. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were worshiping. I think this is a really beautiful example where Paul and Silas, who in spite of less than ideal circumstances, they were in, they were in jail, that, that they were able to set aside their present physical realities and instead chose to identify a much larger spiritual reality that Jesus is still king and still Lord over them, even when their situations stink. And what we see from Paul and Silas is that in spite of their circumstances, they were still able to surrender their expectations and wants and desires for God's. That they aligned their will with God's will. I remember the first winter that, that, I, that I had my driver's license. I think I had my license for maybe a month. And uh, a couple of buddies of mine and myself, we decided that we were going to drive up to Edmonton. And we wanted to go watch the Edmonton Eskimos play against the, uh, the Toronto Argonauts. 
The Toronto Argonauts had been practicing in Red Deer where I lived, and, and Pinball Clemens gave, us, uh, gave me and some buddies free tickets to go watch them play. And, uh, and so we were like, yeah, we're going to go and we're going to cheer on the Argonauts because they gave us free tickets. And, uh, and so, so I was the only one at the time with a license and a vehicle, and so we, started to dr- we, we drove up to Edmonton. Now, the only issue for me was that I had never driven in a large city before, and, and so it was, I was already feeling, feeling fairly anxious about, about how this is going to turn itself out. I'd only ever driven in Red Deer and never really on the highway, and so how was this going to go? To compound the issue is that we actually had no idea how to get to Commonwealth Stadium. And, and so we just, but we just, there was, that was before the times of, of Google Maps, and so we, uh, so we just figured, let's just go, we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, about two-thirds of the way to Edmonton, it started to snow. And it wasn't like the nice fluffy, like, you know, the stuff you see in the movies. It was like the heavy, dense, thick, wet snow. And it very quickly began to coat the highway. And to the point where, where the, the, this, there was beginning to create pretty significant ruts on the highway. Well, when, uh, in order to figure out where we were going, for those, some of you may remember this, but just outside of Edmonton 20 years ago, uh, they used to have an information center between the two sets of highways. And, and so we pulled in trying to figure out, okay, how, how are we going to get to Commonwealth Stadium? And secretly in my mind, hoping that the snow will somehow melt. And, uh, and so we, we got our directions and, and the... The engineering design of this was fairly flawed because as soon as you pull out of the parking lot of the information center, you have to immediately hit the gas in order to accelerate and merge into the fast lane of Highway 2. Now, can you imagine merging onto the fast lane on on Deerfoot? It feels like suicide. Compounded with the fact that the ruts on the highway were now so significant that changing lanes was almost impossible. And so as I began to, to speed up and try to merge, I could not get my vehicle to jump a rut so that we could change lanes, but also trying to accelerate while the other cars were blazing past us doing 125. To, to eventually got to the point where the, the road was beginning to end, so finally I had to make the decision that I was just going to try and jerk the steering wheel hard enough to hit the rut and jump over. And I did. Got over, hit the rut, but the road was so icy at that point that my car began to fishtail. And now there's cars that are blowing past us doing 125 on an icy road, driven by a car who's first time in the city, 16-year-old kid full of other teenagers, and we're fishtailing on this road. And then I had this moment, this moment of clarity, where I remembered that my driver's training, they said, when, you, when you're in that sort of situation, put your car in neutral and the engine will stop pulling. And so, I, so I, as I was fishtailing, I popped it into neutral, and we slowed down, and the engine stopped pulling, and I was able to regain control of the car, and we slowly coasted to some form of control within the ruts of the, of the highway and carried on. Worshiping Jesus is a lot like popping your car into neutral, where the stuff in our lives can go whizzing by, work, school, family, health, all kinds of things that demand our attention right now. And it's so easy to get off track. Maybe because of sin. Maybe because of neglect. Maybe because of circumstances. And all we want to do is just get back on course, but we aren't sure how to just get over there yet. When we give ourselves to Jesus, it allows us to get back on course and put ourselves in neutral so that we can move in the direction that God wants us to go. 
Instead of being influenced by everything else around us, we recognize the necessity to slow down, to restore, to surrender control to God, even when the demands of everything else around us compel us to keep doing what we're already doing. But instead, we worship by being present with Jesus. Worship reminds us to surrender ourselves and our will to God. And instead, we take the necessary actions to to align ourselves with God's will over everything else. You see, Satan wants our worship to be on anything other than God. And he actually begins to create ruts that sometimes can block us from seeing Jesus. But worship anchors us to Jesus. Psalm chapter 96, verses 11 and 12 here. David says this, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that's in it. Then all the trees of the field will sing for joy. In, that, in those two verses, we see four different expressions, four different verbs to describe worship. Rejoice, roar, exult, and sing for joy. And all of these words actually carry very similar connotations in the Hebraic language. If you've ever seen a war movie or a movie like Braveheart, where the battle always starts with a great war cry with whoever's leading the charge, and they say, charge! And the army behind them attacks, screaming into battle. That's the picture that David is painting here. Where the gauntlet has been thrown down, and our worship becomes our battle cry against Satan. Worship declares a total submission to the reality that Jesus is the only way to live and for salvation. Worship declares war on false truths, alternative facts, deception, and relativism, and declares that God's truth is the standard under which our thoughts and decisions must align. And just like my car on an icy road, worship helps us to discover truth and align ourselves with Jesus where we acknowledge that we, ha- we all have motives and sin and mistakes and expectations, but we actually surrender them to Jesus and walk in the truth that God is with us. Worshiping Jesus unveils any deception that might be influencing our lives, anything that allows us to be known intimately by God so that the Holy Spirit can stabilize us and keep us in order, moving in the direction that God wants us to go. When we worship Jesus, we realign our feelings and experiences with who God is. And it shifts our thinking from pandemics and finances. It refocuses our attention from marriages and children. And it heals our past and transforms our futures and reminds each of us that God hasn't forgotten about you. God is still at work. God is still moving. And when we worship we actually reflect the heart of Jesus so that even when everything is happening around us, that we can experience peace because we know that we are still loved by God and that he gives us strength to walk through it. I don't know about you, but when circumstances are difficult, when relationships are challenging, and there's a lot of different distractions, it's not always easy to worship Jesus. It's not always easy to give my best to Jesus. Just last week, I had that, this experience where the Sunday, last Sunday before church, I woke up. I, I had, didn't have a good sleep the night before. I woke up, and I was in a foul mood. I was grouchy. I was just instantly not in a pleasant headspace. 
I didn't want to come to church. I certainly didn't want to preach. Worship was a chore. And I got home and I was still miserable. I got home and I, and I went to get something out of the van only to discover that at some point over the weekend I had left the van unlocked and someone had, had rooted through all of our stuff and stole a few things. And, and it was just one more thing to add to my growing list of frustrations for that day. But then I remembered something. Remembered what I had been sharing the last couple of weeks as it relates to the battle. That I remember that, as I said, as a church, that when we declare that it's all about Jesus here, that we are declaring war on Satan. Then I had these three thoughts. One, I mentioned this before, Satan doesn't fight fair, and he'll do whatever he can to disrupt our focus off of Jesus. And admittedly, it worked last week. Then I had this thought, that he must, Satan must be really nervous. That if, that if, as a church, we are declaring war on Satan, he is afraid of the potential damage that we can inflict on his influence in this city and in this community. And the last thought was this, that it won't be the last time that he tries to attack me, and it certainly won't be the last time he tries to attack any of you. Satan wants to take my attention, your attention, off of Jesus. But worship is the fruit of knowing the heart of Jesus and affirms the unchanging qualities of God as they exist in each of our lives. God doesn't change, and neither does his truth. Worshiping Jesus reminds us of that so that we can live in that truth, so we can root ourselves in that truth. Truth isn't adjusted by our circumstances, and neither is God. God is unchanging regardless of our experiences. Immediately after the service today, I'm, I'm actually heading down south to Calgary, South Calgary, and I'll be performing a wedding for a nice young Korean couple. One of the things that I talk about in, in my premarital classes with, with these, these engaged couples is that we all enter into relationships with a certain set of expectations that both sides actually need to adjust to. Imagine if this couple that I'm marrying went into the relationship with the attitude that as long as you do what I want you to do, then I'm going to remain faithful and married to you. That's not really a healthy picture of marriage or relationships, is it? Instead, the goal, the hope, the desire is that their marriage will be a declaration that in spite of each of their shortcomings and limitations, that they are committed to each other forever where they are declaring publicly to family, friends, and to God that they're in a mutual and exclusive relationship with each other. When we worship Jesus, we are making a declaration of our commitment to Him, that we are in a mutual and exclusive relationship with God and that no other gods will satisfy, that there are no other expressions of truth, truth that are acceptable. Instead, worshiping Jesus is an acknowledgement that God is truth in its original form. As I said last week, Satan cannot stand in the presence of, of truth. So when we worship in the truth that Jesus is Lord, it liberates us and disarms the enemy's influence and impact over our lives. ...to the one who is clear the truth of who God is and his character. And as we do that, worship pledges our allegiance to the one who is truth. 
The worship pledges our allegiance to the one who is truth. Worship is an acknowledgement of the work God is doing, not just in our lives, but also in a spiritual reality that you and I can't see. The real battle isn't actually on earth. The real battle is a spiritual battle that you and I can't see. Worshiping Jesus reminds us of that battle and declares that God is victorious in battle over the spiritual forces of evil. The reality is, is that worship actually has less to do with the physical world and more to do with the spiritual. The worship has less to do with the physical world and more to do with the spiritual. So if we look back at Paul and Silas, they worshiped Jesus probably not because of their circumstances, but instead they worshiped Jesus because God is at work in a spiritual reality that is worth celebrating. So what does worship look like for you and I? How do we give the best of our time, energy, and devotion? How do we posture ourselves in such a way that our worship is, of Jesus is restorative, submissive, and declarative? The first is this, that worship is a decision. That you and I actually have to decide that worship is going to be the posture that we take. That worship is going, we have to actually decide to, to overcome the rut and get into the lane that Jesus wants us in. As I said, we all worship something. And certain things are more natural than others. And choosing Jesus isn't always natural or easy. But at some point, we need to choose Jesus and align ourselves with him. Throughout Psalm chapter 96, we see different expressions of worship being given. Verses 1 and 2, we see, we see, we see David say, in the first verses 1 and 2, he says, sing. And he says it three different times. He says, sing a new song. Sing all the earth. Sing, bless his name. And then we see similar repetition in verses 7 and 8 when he says, ascribe. Ascribe just simply means to give glory. Ascribe of families of the peoples. Ascribe glory and strength. Ascribe the glory of his name. Whenever we see that sort of repetition in Scripture, especially in Hebraic writing, it's the, the author is really trying to make sure we understand and get, get, that, he, that we get what he's trying to say, that we don't miss out. He's, you know, when I, when I give my kids instructions at home and say, make sure you guys wash the dishes. Yeah, yeah, Dad, I got it. No, guys, make sure you do the dishes. Yeah, okay, Dad. And if I really feel like they still need to hear it one more time, grab them by the head. Guys, no, I don't grab them by the head, but that's, that's the idea here. Guys, make sure you don't miss this. Sing to the Lord. Ascribe. Give glory. This idea of declaring the, the character of God. Sing. Celebrate. Declare the glory of who He is. Our worship is declaring who God is. We worship by seeing His praise. We worship in our lives. Worship, though, happens when we understand the truth of Scripture. So if you and I don't spend time in his word, it's really difficult for us to know and be intimate with that truth. We study God's word so that we can know Jesus. We study, we know God, we know Jesus. When we know Jesus, we will worship him. Now, admittedly for some of us, how we, how we understand, how we read scripture may look different for each of us. Some of us prefer different translations than others. Because we have different personalities, we have different preferences, that's okay. For others, our prayer expressions might be different too. 
I know for some people that their preferred prayer expression is through painting or drawing or coloring, and that allows them to connect with God through an expression of creativity that God has actually given them. For others, they connect with God by being outdoors, just by enjoying the natural beauty that God has created and just being in the stillness of beauty and nature. For others, it's music, where the songs they listen to, the songs they sing, just reflects a story in their heart that they don't know how to articulate in certain ways, but that song just just connects in that way for them. It allows them to experience in some way a connection with Jesus. And yet for others, for others it's dance, where the physical expression of dance, much like David and Pastor Sig, they love to dance. It captures a physical expression that that captures the enthusiasm of their love for Jesus. There's so many different ways that you and I can, can come before Jesus with all of ourselves and express our reverence for Him. Worship isn't about bringing glory to you and I. I'm going to invite Jason to come on up. Jason isn't up on the stage so that we'll look at him and applaud his efforts and talents. That's not what worship is. Worship is not about us. Worship is about bringing our best to God and reverently offering all of ourselves to Him, that our lives would become worship. Romans 12, 1 says this, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That our worship would be, a de- would be declarative, that it would be submissive, that it would be restorative expression that Jesus is Lord in all aspects of our lives. That our anthems, that our anthem is rooted in what God has done, what He's doing today, and what He will continue to do in our lives and in this world in the future. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for who You are. We thank You that You are unchanging. Lord, I pray that you would continue to, to be at work, that you continue to change us so that, you continue, so that we could be more like you. And Lord, there may be things, there may be barriers that, that are preventing us from, from entirely submitting to you. Would you expose those to us? Would you, would you break down those, those, those ruts that are preventing us from aligning ourselves with you? God, in this space, we just pray that you'd help us to put ourselves in neutral so that we're no longer pushing again, pulling ourselves, or we're no longer allowing circumstances to pull us, but instead we could just remain in you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.